0: And learning from the podcast, it is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for joining me for Session 143 of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. In today's session, we're talking all about phobias. And joining us for this conversation is Mandisa Jones. Mandisa is a licensed clinical social worker and founder of Ashe Counseling and Coaching, LLC, which is a group practice with locations in Chicago, Illinois. She's passionate about helping individuals overcome their fears and live life to the fullest. Mandisa and I chatted about what phobias are and how they're different from our everyday fears, some common misconceptions about phobias, how they impact multiple areas of a person's life, and how phobias are treated. If you hear something that resonates with you while listening, please share it with us on social media using the hashtag TBG in session. Here's our conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mandisa.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is such an incredible opportunity. I'm a member of the Therapy for Black Girls community. And I'm just so grateful for this platform
0: and all that you're doing. Well, I am grateful for all of you who are members of the community. It makes the work so incredibly rewarding. So I'm grateful for you. Thank you. So I'm happy to have you here to talk with us today about phobias. There are lots of questions typically in the community about anxiety and all of the different ways that anxiety presents. And we have not touched on phobias specifically. So I'm really happy to have you here to talk more about that as this is one of your specialty areas. So can you start by just telling us what a phobia is and how it might be different than our like everyday worries and fears? Yeah, I'm
1: just really happy to talk about this topic because actually before I sat down to this interview, one of the receptionists in my workspace, she was talking about her phobia of dogs and how it has impacted her career. So just to talk about phobias, it's a diagnosable mental disorder. It's a type of anxiety disorder that causes an individual to experience extreme irrational fear about a situation, living creature, place, or object. The person will experience intense distress when they're faced with the source of their phobia.
0: It's so funny that you mentioned the receptionist with the dog phobia. So I had a pretty intense dog phobia when I was younger. It could not be around dogs and had never had a bad experience or anything with dogs until one of my friends, during our first job together, she had two dogs that I fell in love with. And so that kind of cured me of the phobia. And now I have two dogs of my own. I'm glad you brought that up because I had that on my list to chat with you about, because I think that that is one of the ones that we often see and that it feels like people are very dismissive of it, right? Like it's like, oh, it's it's just a dog. It's not going to do anything to
1: you. My dog is not going to do anything. Yes. You're right. People are very dismissive. But this is a diagnosable mental disorder Mm -hmm. because for people who have phobias, it really impacts their lives. I have a phobia as well. So I say it's four legged animals, but particularly cats where I will avoid places where I believe that there is a cat or if I see a cat. And it's very, very common in the black community.
0: Mm-hmm. Specifically related to animals, you mean?
1: Specifically, well, just phobias in general, got it. Um, so they they say they don't know exactly how phobias are caused. I mean, sometimes we do have experiences where we are, uh, you know, maybe attacked by an animal or have had a traumatic experience like in water or
0: something like that. But a lot of times, the phobia is genetic and passed through. Mm, okay, so it makes sense that if we've seen like parents or loved ones kind of be struggling with phobias, that it's something that we might struggle with as well.
1: Right, because our parents sometimes will reinforce that phobia. So if you have a parent that's afraid of dogs for whatever reason, you might hear or witness your your parent afraid, and therefore you take on
0: that fear yourself. hmm hmm Got it. Okay. So are there things that you feel like are commonly misunderstood about phobia? So we've already touched a little bit about how people sometimes will minimize it, like, oh, that's not a big deal. But are there other things that are commonly misunderstood? Well, understanding the difference between a normal fear
1: and a phobia. You know, we all have fears and some anxieties, but a phobia is when we actually rearrange our lives to avoid that phobia. So for example, you know, we all may feel a little nervous or anxious when we're flying, especially if the weather is bad and there's turbulence, you know, our stomachs may drop and it may be uncomfortable. But a phobia, a person with the fear of flying, a phobia of flying, wouldn't go to their best friend's wedding on an island because they're afraid to fly there. So that is a difference and that people, I think, you know, having a phobia myself, people not understanding that we don't want to be afraid and we don't, want to avoid these situations. But the fear in our minds outweighs the benefit of going to the wedding or going to someone's house with a cat or swimming in the ocean, right? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's a great example, right? Because I think if you don't struggle with a phobia or, you know, if you're not really kind of up on like what it means to have a phobia, then you don't understand how this can impact someone's life. So a decision about whether I'm going to travel to a friend's wedding, but I would imagine that even more everyday occurrences may be impacted because of phobias. Can you talk more about maybe some of those things that people might not even recognize that they're doing Mm -hmm. because of phobias? Well, one
1: thing is job opportunity. So just using a dog example, we've had gifted my husband with the Peloton bike for Christmas and they come in and they set that up. One of the women who was setting up the bike before she entered the home asked if there were any pets. And of course, we don't have any pets. And so she felt comfortable. And I thought about her later. I said, like, well, what does she do? You know, she and she just described her phobia of dogs and and all of that and I thought about well what does she do when she goes to someone's home and that have a pet and some people are very protective of their pets and feel that their pets are part of the household and do not want to put them up and so what happens to her and her job opportunity you know does she quit does she avoid going to work that day or if you, you know, keeping on the employment, uh, you know, what if you have a fear of elevators or heights and you're offered an opportunity in a building, you know, and the office is on the 10th floor. And sometimes you know, people will avoid that or not take the job. So it really impacts people, you know, every day, you know, on big decisions such as their jobs. But then, you know, I think about myself, you know, the fear, my daughter's school, there was a, a cat a little neighborhood cat that the kids were feeding. And I dreaded taking her to school because the cat and everyone would say, oh, that cat, you know, the cat's not going to bother you. Um, And I really had to, I had to stand across the street and have someone else walk her in the building because I was terrified.
0: Yeah, so even everyday things like that, like you mentioned that you just might not even think about, but that takes so much of your like emotional energy and really... I would imagine, can it also impact your mood for the rest of the day, right?
1: Yes. And just a thought of having to face this, you mm-hmm. know, once I realized, like with the cat that, OK, this cat is going to be around and they're feeding the cat. Every morning I woke up with this dread of taking my daughter to school because I'm thinking about this cat, you know.
0: Mm -hmm. And, And
1: that's the thing about phobia is that it overtakes our thoughts. And we're constantly, you know, thinking about it and worrying about it. And like you said, you know, expending that emotional energy on something that really, when we think about it, is anything that we really shouldn't be afraid of.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, but of course, that's the way that anxiety works, right? Is that even though if you are not struggling with anxiety, the threat may look like it's not an actual threat, but in your mind, it feels very much like a real threat. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that's the part I think that is often misunderstood. If you're not somebody who has struggled with anxiety in one way or another, it may feel like, oh, just go bring your daughter to school, right? Like the cat is not going to bother you. But in your mind, it feels like a very real kind of a risk and a, a threat situation.
1: Yes. That's from our flight and fright response is that we feel we're in danger and we will have physical symptoms When we are experiencing or exposed to that threat of the phobia, you know, we may feel our heart rate elevated, we may sweat, we may, you know, have all types of physical symptoms because of it.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And going back to the conversation around how this can impact, you know, just your daily living and employment opportunities. One of the more commonly discussed, I think, phobias is agoraphobia. Right. So people who have a fear of just leaving their homes. Right. And so you can imagine how that impacts people's ability to kind of just even take care of themselves. Right now, thankfully, we have like lots of delivery options and, you know, all of those things that technology has probably made it easier to kind of deal with. But in terms of like employment opportunities and those kinds of things, that can be significantly limited by somebody's fear of leaving their home. And that is
1: also, you know, and I wonder, you know, with these options of delivery, you know, I had something delivered not too long ago and I was laughing like anything could be delivered this day of age. But people who are dealing with agoraphobia, having that avoidance, when we have these options, we don't have the opportunity to test out. What we're afraid of. And I think, you know, thinking about what helps with phobias is to expose yourself to some degree. And with the delivery options, we kind of perpetuate
0: that that fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I'm glad you mentioned that, and I know we're going to get into it also, but the idea around anything that makes you anxious, and every time we've talked about anxiety on the podcast, y'all have heard me say this or a guest say this, that the key to working through anxiety is to go toward the thing that you're afraid of, right? So, of course, I mean, it is kind of like a double-edged sword, right? So, you know, somebody who might be struggling with agoraphobia, they may feel less emotionally overwhelmed because so much can be delivered, but in terms of working through their feelings, fear having things delivered may not be the best option. right exactly. yeah
1: and our friends and our family will help us if they understand that we are afraid of, for example, afraid of flying. they will help us figure out a way to avoid that to keep us safe because they don't want us to be scared. But sometimes we need, like you said, to go towards that fear even if it's just a little bit at a time so we can get used to it and get used to being uncomfortable.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's the key, right, Mandisa, is that we're not wanting you to hear us say like, oh, go full force towards the thing, right? It is incremental. You know, so when we talk about like anxiety hierarchies and those kinds of things, we're not saying like, okay, if I'm afraid of cats, I then adopt five cats into my house. It yeah. might mean, you know, passing by a window where a cat is or, you know, something like that. Um, So that you gradually kind of build up to becoming more okay with your discomfort.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's exposure therapy, which is the most effective way to treat phobias is to focus on it on small, gradual changes and exposures to that
0: fear. hmm. Can you walk us through what that might look like, Mandisa? So let's take the example of somebody who is afraid to fly. Right. What might like an exposure therapy type of treatment look like for somebody who's struggling with that?
1: Well, first, I always recommend to first do it in your mind and then to try it into the real world. So if you did do it in your mind and have that image, just picture yourself and set your goal of what you would want this to look like, like after your treatment, what do you want to be able to do? And so you said a fear of flying, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe that would be traveling across the globe, maybe going to Europe, where it's a you know 12 hour flight. That might be your end goal. And so to visualize yourself and the steps it will take to get there, that will be the first thing. Then the second thing would be the actual exposure therapy, as you mentioned, the hierarchy and listing out from, you know, at least eight to 10 steps to get you to that final goal. So if your final goal is to get on a plane and to go to Italy, then that will be the most feared object of that scenario. And so what steps will it take to get you there? So working from the most feared and starting smaller. So it might be just reading about airplanes, right? Or reading about people who who fly. And then the next step would be maybe, you know, going to an airport and just watching the planes take off. You know, just, you know, small incremental steps to get you to, to
0: that final goal. And Mandisa, I'm not sure because this is not an area of practice that I specialize in, but are there um, like airports and things that will work with therapists and their clients on some of this like in vivo exposure therapy? So like, because I know a lot of therapists will like go with their client to an airport and let's practice mm-hmm. sitting on the plane and that kind of thing. Are there special airports that like participate in that? Like, how would you set something like that up? Do you know? You know what,
1: I'm not sure. I haven't heard of anything because of the security of Air Force. Right. right? Yeah. That it might not be as easy as if we were like working for someone who's afraid of snakes and you know, working with a you know local pet store that will help someone with that fear. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure, you know, that they're, you know maybe the the therapist would be interested in, because if you want, one of the steps will be maybe just going to a gate. So mm. maybe the therapist can write the airline. I'm sure there's something that we, we're usually pretty resourceful.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I would imagine like more regional airports, right? Or people who have private planes, like you might be able to set up something with somebody who has a private plane. And I've also heard, though I've not used, people having really good results with like virtual reality kinds of things. Have you used any of that in your practice? Well, you took it right out of my
1: mouth. <laughs> that the virtual reality, that is a big, big area that there's are some organizations here in Chicago that use those VR, like those Oculus where uh-huh. they are.
0: I don't know. Have you ever used one of those things just for fun? Yes, I have. And it is a very trippy experience. <laughs> like it really feels like you. I don't think I've done a flight one. I can't remember exactly what the setting was, but you feel mm-hmm. like you're in the experience. Yes. So mm-hmm. but that's an option for people as well. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, the whole idea around exposure therapy, right, is that we just want to mimic as closely as possible Mm -hmm. what the real experience feels like. And so even though the VR experience might not be exactly the same, it -hmm. can bring up enough of the emotion where you and the therapist can work on like, okay, how do we practice breathing in this moment when it feels like your heart is racing and those kinds of things. And
1: that's another point of using those relaxation techniques. Because sometimes, you know, depending on how severe the phobia is, we may experience panic symptoms just thinking about it or just seeing a picture of our trigger. And so to learn, like you said, when you're in that situation, because you will have, you know, some setbacks So you will feel that fear creeping up, you know, even if you work through the exposure therapy. And what do you do when you feel that fear and that's first to recognize when it comes because you know we all feel fear and anxiety differently. So to know that oh like okay, you know, I'm feeling a little nervous, I'm feeling a little anxious and what to do, such as breathing techniques and mindful techniques and grounding techniques to help you center yourself.
0: And so how does the exposure therapy work, Mendisa? Because I would imagine it is first kind of coming up with this hierarchy, right? So the thing that you're least afraid of related to the situation versus the thing you're most afraid of. And then at each step, are you maybe visualizing and then accompanying that with some of these skills like the breathing and the mindfulness to kind of help manage the emotions with every step of the hierarchy? That's exactly it.
1: Okay. You do the hierarchy and you imagine each step. It's important also to have a support partner if, you know, unfortunately, you know, therapists, we're not available 24-7, but you want to have someone that you can also work through these things with. And, you know, if we, you know, using the flying example, someone that can also go with you when you are ready to make that flight.
0: Mm hmm. And would the support person kind of be a part of the therapy also or would you kind of be talking to the client about how to talk to the support person about supporting them?
1: You know what? It would be helpful if that support person could come in on a session just to give some tips on how to support the person with the phobia, what to do, what not to do and explain the process of what that person would need.
0: hmm. hmm. Got it. OK. And so, you know, the flight phobia, again, like we talked about, like there are ways people can avoid it. But, you know, depending on what you do for work and whether you want to travel and, you know, vacations and stuff like that, it might be something difficult. But if we think about something that is more easily avoided, right? So maybe like the cat or dog phobia, right? Like you can easy enough probably arrange your life to not have to deal with any pets. So what would be like the reason somebody might want to come in for treatment for something that they could very easily avoid? Well, you
1: know, I mean, and that depends on how you want to live your life. You know, some things we may not ever know that we're afraid of, right? Mm -hmm. I'm in Chicago and I may not come into, you know, contact with a lion or something like that, right? And so that's one thing to think about. But if it's something that you may come into contact with, and that you realize that this is a fear, you want to address that, even if it doesn't affect your day-to-day life, this is something to consider because you may want to travel. You may want to
0: experience something Later on in life, -hmm. yeah, and kind of going back to your earlier comment about how so much of this can kind of be passed on to our kids. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's something I think about too with my little ones, right? Like about how do I manage my own anxiety so that I don't like model for them being anxious of things that you know they want to do. Like I don't know how to swim, but they are like water babies, right? And so you know, trying to manage my own anxiety about them swimming because I know it's a skill that will be important for them to have. they're watching you. They're, they're mm-hmm. watching you. And even if
1: you do have a phobia and watching how you handle it, you know, my daughter does recognize that, you know, that I do have this fear. And she, of course, she's not thinking therapeutically. She <laughs> know, oh, just get over it. She does want a, a dog. And mm-hmm. I am working through that to get a dog. But I think that's also important to show that hey, yes, this fear did show up for me and this is something that I've experienced, but then you could also see how I overcome that.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's okay to model anxiety because they will be anxious about things in their life too, but also really good to model how we can overcome anxiety and overcome other challenges. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Are there some other pretty common phobias that people might struggle with that you kind of see a lot like in your practice or in your work?
1: Yeah. So some of the most common ones would be the claustrophobia, just being restricted from confined spacements. The aerophobia, which is the fear of flying. Arachnophobia is very common. And it's interesting because I think I read a fact that we're always at least five feet away from a spider. (laughs) What? Yes. (laughs) Yes. So, <laughs> Look, I'm looking around now. Like, where is it? Yes, I, I that, that we're we're always at least five feet away from a spider. So spiders are pretty hard to avoid. Mm-hmm. I'm also seeing as we get older, there's a lot of people with driving phobias. You mm-hmm. know, just the fear of driving, and not that there was anything particularly that happened to them, like an accident. You know, and it could be when we hear about accidents or see accidents that gets into our subconscious, so there's fears of that. And then one other common fear that I'm you know work with a lot of my clients with is the blood injury and injection phobia. Have you heard of that? Mm-mm. what is that? So just uh, it's more than just fear of needles. Mm-hmm. You know having that fear of needles is one thing, but then there's this fear of being injected by the needle and being infected with
0: maybe an infection such as HIV. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And I would imagine that that is similar to the driving thing when you talked about like us, you know, I think social media and things have just made it so much easier to share stories. Right. So some of this probably was always going on, but we didn't hear about it as easily. And now that we hear and see more of these stories, it is becoming a part of like what's happening in our subconscious.
1: You know, and I, and I see this a lot the blood injury and injection phobia a lot with healthcare workers. Mm. And um, that's, you know, one way that that can impact their everyday existence. So what happens if they are nurses or they, you know, just hospital employees and they, you know, as a hospital employee, you do have to get shots and and things like that, the flu shot when you work in a hospital, and how can that impact your employment?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So there feels like are some kind of specific types of phobias that are much more specifically related to like certain jobs and careers that we might have. hmm yes. Yeah. And then there's the aquaphobia. That's mm-hmm. The water. mm-hmm. Water. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the interesting ones, so this kind of came up around, um, and I'm sure that you've seen this since this is your work, when the newest iPhone was released and it has those three circles and people who struggle with, is it tryptophobia? You know what? I don't know
1: the exact name of that. Yeah. I heard a little bit about this. So is this a
0: fear of waiting for the response? No, I think it is something about like the way it is designed, right? So like the three circles somehow just feels very distressing for people. And you see it also with like other designs, right? Like you would just see these random images mm-hmm. and people talk about like how this activates their tryptophobia. I think that's the name of it. I may be wrong about that. But, you know, it's, it's just interesting how different things, you know, kind of come up like that. And I would imagine, you know, as technology continues to advance, there will be additional things that we develop phobias to. And that could go two ways,
1: because one, technology, like you said, spreads new. So we become fearful of things that we weren't even aware of. Right. Mm-hmm. And so so technology in that way can help perpetuate phobias, but then also the technology itself <laughs> can can perpetuate phobias or cause phobias. So it's interesting to see down the line how much technology
0: will impact phobias. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we've already talked about how it can help, right? Like just using something like a virtual reality. But yes. of course, the other side of that is that it also may introduce additional things for us to have phobias about. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what are some of your favorite resources, Disa, for anybody who may want to learn more or who might need some additional support around phobias?
1: So there's this excellent book that I use. It's called The Anxiety and Phobia Workbook. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can find this. It's uh, published by New Harbinger. And it's a self-help workbook, but I work with it with my clients. You can get this on Amazon. It's very, very informative about uh, describing phobias, what you can do about phobias. One of my clients that has a phobia that we're working through it, and she just really gets a lot from the information and learning exactly about anxiety and phobias. And You know, how do they start? And, you know, with it being hereditary and things like that. And she really sees herself in that. So that's also a good resource. Of course, reaching out to a psychotherapist in your area that specializes in anxiety and phobias is also another great option.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that, right? Because, you know, like you heard me say earlier, anxiety treatment is not a specialty area for me. And so, you know, it is important that you find therapists who like specialize in these kinds of things, because you've already heard us talk about exposure therapy kind of being the gold standard in terms of working through things like phobias. And so if you go to a therapist who is not trained in how to do exposure therapy, it might either be more harmful or at the very least, it really won't be effective.
1: Exactly because I tried to go to a therapist when we were going to a friend's wedding in Jamaica. And I read on the TripAdvisor reviews that it was a lot of cats on the island. And, you know, so I did seek out therapy and the person that, you know, that I went to was just not very effective in helping me. We did not do, and I brought this stuff up because I was aware of it, but, you know, we didn't do exposure therapy. We did some guided imagery but that wasn't, you know, very helpful. And I really needed to get out there and really work through this fear. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, so finding someone that is comfortable and is knowledgeable about exposure therapy and knowledgeable about phobias and anxiety is very important because there's also some landmines in that, because if you really want to, you know, stay away from flooding Mm. And that is where we just like you said about the cats, you know, walking into a room with 10 cats that can set you back um, with your fear and make it even worse. So you want to have someone that is knowledgeable about this.
0: Yeah, very good point, Mindy. So I'm glad you shared that. So where can people find you online? What's your website as well as any social media handles you'd like to share?
1: Okay, so I do own a group practice here in Chicago and our website is Ashe, ashecc.com. And then you can find me on Instagram or Facebook. So it's under MJ Jones. <laughs> and so my handle is on Instagram. That's what I like to use the most. I love followers and welcome followers. And we're at Ashe Counseling on Instagram. So it's all one word. So that's A-S-H-E counseling,
0: C-O-U-N-S-E-L-I-N-G. Perfect. And of course, we will have all of that in the show notes and the anxiety and phobia workbook will also be linked in our show notes in case anybody wants to grab a copy of that. Well, thank you so much, Mandisa. I appreciate you sharing with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Thank you. I'm so glad Mandisa was able to share her expertise with us today. To learn more about her and her practice and to check out the resources she shared, be sure to visit the show notes at therapyforblackgirls.com slash session 143. And please remember to share this episode with two people in your circle and don't forget to share your takeaways with us either on Twitter or in your IG stories using the hashtag TBG In case you missed it, Last week, I dropped a bonus episode of the podcast featuring my conversation with Dr. Key Hallman discussing sisterhood in business. It was the first part of a three-part series I'm doing with the support of Pfizer as we count down to the Black Enterprise Women of Power Summit. Part two of the series drops this Friday, so be sure to be on the lookout for that one as well. If you're searching for a therapist in your area, be sure to check out our therapist directory at therapyforblackgirls.com slash directory. And if you want to continue digging into this topic and meet some other sisters in your area, come on over and join us in the Yellow Couch Collective, where we take a deeper dive into the topics from the podcast and just about everything else. You can join us at therapyforblackgirls.com slash YCC. Thank y'all so much for joining me again this week. I look forward to continuing this conversation with you all real soon. Take good care.